what is anti-Semitism and why is there so much of it today? I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. I'm glad that you are listening to this special episode about anti-Semitism. This topic is very personal to me since I, as a Jew, have experienced anti-Semitism directly. Lately, Jews in the United States and around the world have confronted an upswing in anti-Semitism, one of the most persistent and pernicious prejudices in the world. There are many factors involved in the upswing, including the rise of white nationalism in America and Israel's complicated relationship with the Palestinians. Today, though, I want to talk about how anti-Semitism evolved and then what we can do to confront it today. After all, we must understand the past if we are to change the future. As with so many matters between Jews and Christians, we start with Christian scriptures. There are two questions to ask. One, are the Christian scriptures biased against Jews? And two, are they biased against Judaism? Do they indict just certain Jews or do they condemn an entire people or faith? It's a matter of great controversy as sources definitely conflict. There is no one answer. But what we do know is how these texts were used. If we take Paul's Great Commission, for example, which we have discussed in a previous podcast, how can it be that Jews decline to become Christians? To an evangelist, it is a failure to carry forward the Great Commission. That might deny the evangelist salvation, and that could not stand. So the one who refused Christ namely the Jews, became the object of hate. But even more than the Great Commission, we wrestle with the question, who killed Jesus? Or more specifically, did Jews kill Jesus? We will discuss this question in depth on a future podcast. But for now, we just need to acknowledge that if one believes that the Jews and not the Romans were responsible for Jesus's crucifixion, then that also leads to anti-Semitism. If Jews killed Christ, then Jews deserve punishment, even if Jesus had to die to be resurrected. These two charges, that Jews reject the Great Commission and deicide, that Jews killed Jesus, were leveled against Jews for centuries. They are still leveled today. And there are other charges based in Christian scripture as well. I have only given two examples here. In Christian Rome and Byzantium, these charges led to many anti-Jewish laws, such as limiting commerce, worship, and marriage. By the 11th century, it led to the Crusades. Ostensibly, the Crusades aimed to liberate the Holy Land from Muslim rule. But as the Crusaders marched through Europe on their way to their Italian ports, they discovered infidels amongst them, namely Jews. Often, the Crusaders would terrorize and destroy Jewish communities along their paths, 
in Germany, France, and elsewhere. They would, for example, round up the Jews, lock them in a synagogue, and then torch the building. It sounds horrific, and it is, but it also presaged what would happen in the 20th century in those same general locations. There was also a theological aspect to anti-Jewish thinking in early Christianity. When we look at Augustine, for example, who lived from 354 to 430 CE, he accused Jews of deicide, and yet also stated that Jews had to be in the world to offer a God-protected witness, living examples of those who did not accept Jesus as the Christ. To Augustine, Jews were like Cain, protected by God, but condemned to wander the earth as objects of derision. As Augustine wrote, Thus the Jewish people will never perish for the whole length of the seven days of time. They make visible to the Christian faithful the subjugation that they merited because they, in the pride of their kingdom, put the Lord to death. And so the Lord God placed a mark upon Cain, lest anyone coming upon him should kill him. To Augustine, God's covenant with Abraham now flowed through Jesus. The new covenant, as it were, replaced the old. As he wrote, the elder have become servants of the younger. Augustine originated the concept of replacement theology, where belief in Jesus as the Christ replaced adherence to the laws of the Old Testament as the path to salvation. In medieval Spain, as the peninsula unified under Ferdinand and Isabella in the late 15th century, the golden age of Jewish life in Muslim Spain came to an end, and the Catholic Inquisition began. Along with the usual anti-Jewish laws, the Inquisition attempted to root out secret Jews, called by some Maranos and by others Conversos, new Catholics who practiced Judaism in secret. The Inquisitors used various forms of torture to compel their victims to confess. The Inquisition was a powerful tool used to defend the faith in Spain, Portugal, and in their conquered lands in the New World. Yet throughout these travails, and well into the 19th century, there were two ways that Jews escaped such anti-Jewish strictures. They could move to a more tolerant place, such as the Muslim Ottoman Empire, or they could convert. Once a Jew chose to become a Catholic or later a Protestant, all was forgiven. That Jew was saved. He or she accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, fulfilling the Great Commission. Modern anti-Semitism begins in the mid-19th century with the development of racial theory. At first, Race was a benign concept. Every person on earth was part of a race. There was an English race, a French race, a German race, and so on. And there was also a Jewish race. On the positive side, some Jewish writers began to wonder why Jews were the only race without a homeland. These thinkers created the philosophical basis for modern Zionism, expressed most famously by Theodore Herzl. On the negative side, 
some began to rank races. Depending upon the nationality of the writer, the English race was supreme. Or was it the French race? Or most tragically, was it the German Aryan race? You know where this is leading. The Jewish, Slavic, and Negroid races, Negroid being the common term at the time to describe people from sub-Saharan Africa, were invariably ranked at the bottom. Hence, it was easy to rail against them, no matter how successful a Jew, Russian, Pole, or Black person may have been. The major difference between classical anti-Judaism and modern anti-Semitism is that conversion to Christianity did not change the perception of that person. Once a Jew, always a Jew. Jews were defined as a race, not as a religious group. You could change your religion. You could never change your race. Karl Marx's father may have converted the family when he was a kid, but Marxism has always been criticized as a Jewish plot. Even though to Marx, religion was the opiate of the masses and never identified as a Jew. We know that this thinking led to tragic results, and not just in Russia. If one reads even one page of Mein Kampf, Hitler's manifesto, we see how this ranking and blaming the Jews for the world's misfortunes almost wiped out an entire religious community in Europe. In Hitler's Germany, you were Jewish if only one of your great-grandparents was Jewish. Many Germans went to Dachau and other concentration camps, not even aware of their Jewish ancestry until it was too late. After a short break, we will talk about the present situation and what we can do about it. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Before we return to our discussion of anti-Semitism, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please remember to rate and review this episode, as well as previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, and other great podcasting sites. Also, you can like us on Facebook. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, there are two factors fueling today's anti-Semitism, white nationalism and the Israel-Palestine conflict. Let's look at them. White nationalism, also called white supremacy, is loosely defined as a movement that strives to maintain and enhance the position of white Americans, especially white male Protestant Americans, at the top of the caste system in the United States, Canada, and Western Europe. Some of its manifestations are various neo-Nazi parties, the Proud Boys, and other groups that have been in the headlines recently. In 2017, white supremacists marched in Charlottesville, North Carolina, chanting the slogan, Jews will not replace us. That was a curious statement, obviously anti-Semitic, but its meaning was unclear at first glance until we learned the second part of the slogan, which was not chanted. 
Jews will not replace us with blacks. These primarily white men feared that a Jewish conspiracy was plotting to remove whites from their jobs and their social caste and replace them with black men whom they assumed were pawns in the great worldwide Jewish conspiracy. Such thinking echoes an anti-Semitic trope that began in the early 20th century that a secret Jewish cabal was plotting world domination. This canard first appeared in print in a booklet called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. It first appeared in Russian, but soon Henry Ford had it translated and distributed it in English. Along with other manifestos, The Protocols is an essential reading for white nationalists who believe that Jews are out to control the world using blacks as their pawns. The second cause for the increase in anti-Semitism is the conflict in the Middle East, which exploded shortly before I recorded this podcast in June of 2021. And here, we must be extremely careful with our words. First, criticism of the Israeli government is legitimate and, in my opinion, often warranted. Just as we may not agree with all the policies and actions of our American president, no matter whom he or she is, the Israeli prime minister is fair game as well. The problem arises when we say Israel instead of the Israeli government. Words matter. When we criticize Israel as a whole, there is an anti-Semitic inference, which may not be intended to be sure. Israel does not mean Jews. It is a sovereign entity. Jews are members of a religious group. So we need to watch our words lest we inadvertently say something that can be construed as anti-Semitic. Anti-Zionism is not the same as anti-Semitism. But when a person says, I'm not anti-Semitic, I'm anti-Zionist, it is often difficult to believe. If a person believes that the way that the Israeli government treats Palestinians is not acceptable, then please criticize the Israeli government, not Israel, and not, quote, the Jews. Again, words matter. There is a way to discuss serious differences in a respectful manner. Frankly, we welcome honest debate and discussion. It is the very reason for this podcast. But when these differences descend into acts of anti-Semitism, be they physical harm, verbal abuse, or just conflating criticism of Israel with an attack on the entire Jewish people, All people of goodwill must confront these horrible acts. We do not expect, nor do we want, the entire world to be Jewish. But we do want the entire world to respect the humanity of each other and not remain silent in the face of anti-Semitism. Allow me to conclude with a Midrash, a rabbinic parable. Why was the world created through Adam? The Midrash answers its own question so that no one can say, my father was greater than yours. Let that be our guide from now into the future. Next week, we will change gears and talk about the American Jewish experience, the story of the Jews in America, and how Jews found such freedom and opportunity in the new world is fascinating. I hope that you listen when it drops next week. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. Please listen to and rate this and previous podcasts 
on Apple, Spotify, or other popular podcast outlets. You can also like us on Facebook, where we add a weekly Torah thought and other goodies. Have a great day, and remember, how good and how pleasant it is for us to dwell together in unity. Until we see each other again, I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this has been Torah for Christians. Thank you.